So Brent sends his blessings from Israel. Had a chance to uh, speak to him a little bit this week while he's over there. The tour, uh, for some of you who don't know that, he's a, he runs a tour company for Christian Holy Land Tours, stuff like that. So the tour got there this week, and he was wrestling with insomnia and not getting to sleep as much. And of course, I'd, I don't know exactly what time it is in Tel Aviv or what time it is in Jerusalem or what time it is wherever. And so I'm texting him at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, I'm being upstanding and it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. And so, but uh, he does send his love. Um, ask that you continue to pray for him specifically to be rested, to sleep, that kind of stuff. He's got tours. He'll be back in time for Pentecost with us, Pentecost in the park. So for those, there's a bunch of new people here who are here today. Um, Sidebar, Pentecost throughout history is just revolutionary. And a lot of times it gets glossed over because like everybody likes Passover. Like, you know, there's all these Jewish boy bands out there that like have remade popular songs like with kind of Passover, Pesach type of thought. Um, And so there's a lot of fun, cool things. Tabernacles is obviously cool. Hanukkah, anytime you have an eight-day festival that you get to basically eat like donuts and everything fried, um, of course, is amazing. Uh, But Pentecost is like one of the most apocalyptic type of events that exists. And and I don't want to think about an apocalypse, and this isn't even in my notes today. I don't know why the Lord wanted me to share it, but not an apocalypse as in like John Cusack is flying a plane and the world is coming to an end, or like Will Smith is like dragging an alien through the Utah desert in Independence Day. Not that apocalyptic, but we're talking about just a paradigm shift. We're talking about Paul on the road to Damascus when there's this concept of this is how the world works and all of a sudden God reaches down and is like, no, it now works this way. And see, for me, I've been walking the full Bible way, the Genesis to Revelation since 2007. I've been keeping the feasts the best of my ability. I've been memorializing, observing, whatever phrase you want to use. I've seen new phrases, old phrases, dead phrases, live phrases, and even new phrases recently. But one thing I will say is that it seems like anytime you're pursuing God through the truth of the scripture and through the power of his spirit, he will give you apocalyptic events for you to have the opportunity to make changes. Some of you are in the largest apocalyptic events of your life, and it has nothing to do with the doom and gloom of the outside world. It has to do with the shedding off of the old sinful creation and the rebirth of the new one. See, Pentecost was the memorialization of the giving of the Torah, the establishment of the constitution of the nation of Israel, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And those two things together equal one of the greatest phrases of all believers. We're trying to find the balance of spirit and truth. Once you figure out what that balance is, let me know. I haven't figured it out. Pursuing it, but I haven't figured it out. Maybe I'll write a book one day and one person will read it. Isaac will read it. He'll return the favor for reading this book. And, you know, we, but ultimately, I believe the journey to God is just that. It's a journey to try to find spirit and truth. And sometimes we're here and sometimes we're there and The beautiful thing is, is that the imperfections of us are the perfection of God. As I continue to go through this weird stage of my relationship with the Lord, he continues to take me back to these different scriptures and to these different stories, and he keeps showing me little nuggets in ways. 
And so I've done a couple of teachings on the betrayal of Jesus or by Judas and stuff like that. But I'm reading through that story and there's a line in there. And I just want to know, I just want to know how the Jewish high priest got away with it. Because church, I've only been walking as a senior pastor of this church since uh, January. But let me ask you a question. And this is participation. Spirit and truth means you have to participate, okay? Like, I just made that up. But, not, but, but spirit and truth means you have to participate. So let me ask you a question. If you were wrestling with something in your life, if there was a struggle you were having, let's, let's say it's, it's, you know, an emotional issue or it's a spiritual issue, or let's just say you're in sin or whatever. I mean, we don't got to go that deep that quick, but let's just say that's what's happening. And you call me and you say, hey, Pastor Chris, I need your help. Uh, I'm just like in this sin. I'm like really struggling with this thing. And honestly, I just don't know where to go. And I'm like, that's your problem. That's not mine. How many of you would come back? I had a 0% success rate there. Okay. Uh, that's, that was my thought. But like, I don't want to just like project onto you guys. I just want to ask a question. So if you came to me looking for help and I'm like, see to it yourself, that's your problem. Most likely you're looking for another church. Okay, got it. All right, duly noted, do not do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27. Good old Matthew 27. We're going to spend some time in 1 through 5. If you've ever studied your Bible, if you've ever been around a church, this should not be unique to you. This is the age-old story. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Yeshua to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is it to us? See to it yourself." And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. So now it makes a little bit more sense as to why I asked those questions. Somehow the chief priest, the highest ranking religious leader in Jerusalem. Now we already know the testimony. The guy doesn't have the most amazing track record when it comes to spiritual discernment. Maybe he was a truther. But spiritual discernment, he couldn't see God in the flesh. He was looking for God behind the veil of the temple, but he couldn't see God in the flesh walking with him through Yeshua in that moment. And yet, the highest ranking authority, and we're talking Old Testament here, we're talking Tanakh, we're talking Torah, we're talking about when you have a sin, you were to bring a certain type of offering to there, and there was a process What is it to us that you have sinned? See to it yourself. Now, I'm not going to say that Judas went and took his own life because of the response of the religious leadership, but the text also doesn't say one way or another. If Judas had enough discernment to realize that he had double-crossed his teacher, his friend. He was an apprentice of Jesus. If he had enough discernment to recognize that he had done something wrong, enough discernment to go back and try to hand the blood money back and try to be absolved, 
would Judas's life have been spared if the religious leadership would have seen the despair of the decision that he made? None of us have the answer. That's, an, that's a question we're going to have to ask God when we get a chance to meet with God. I'm definitely not God, and so I don't have that. But this is important. Why is this important? Because ultimately the Bible is clear. You were never supposed to see to it yourself. Now, I know that's countercultural. We can buy a house, we can flip houses, we can do all these things. Philippians 4 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's the emphasis on I can do all things. But we were never supposed to, we were never designed to see to it ourselves. Moses wasn't able to deliver the people from Egypt because he was able to see to it himself. No, the Lord came to the bush, spoke to Moses, empowered him, and told him how to go back, delivered him out. David, the greatest ruler, even in Israel today, David is of high esteem. David left to his own devices when he saw to it himself Yeah, he was sleeping with whoever he could find. He was plotting the murder of innocent people. Like, dude was a bad dude. He would be like all over Telemundo right now with like his own soap opera. The guy was not good when he was seeing to it himself. But yet when God was operating, he was one of the greatest kings and one of the greatest men throughout the scripture. We have the majority of the book of Psalms because of the wrestling and the lamenting and the praise of David. Jesus met in the upper room above the tomb of David to prove David the king, one of the greatest kings of Israel. Here's the king of Israel, Yeshua HaMashiach at Passover. So many awesome things. But God never wanted you to see to it yourself. If you could deliver yourself, why need a God? Why need a creator? If creation could create itself, why do you need a creator? And I know this is countercultural because, like, you know, my wife will tell you, growing up, she had one thing. You do not smoke cigarettes. Well, I worked in the automotive industry. I was smoking a pack to two packs of cigarettes a day. And all of a sudden, she gets pregnant with our first child, and she's like, you said you weren't going to smoke cigarettes. And I, cold turkey, quit smoking cigarettes. But then I wanted to go back to cigarettes and then I had to say, like, all right, well, I kind of, God, I need some help on this. Like, I need you to put my mind on other things. And see, I know in this church, there's people over the last year or so, who, you've tackled some massive things. You've tackled some financial traumas. You've tackled some healing traumas. You've tackled some addictions. Some of you are in the midst of all of those. But at the end, if you truly are going to be delivered, not just abstinent, There's that word from the 90s Christian church. If we're abstinent, fantastic, you're abstinent. But if you want to be delivered, not just remaining abstinent, you can't deliver yourself. There's not a single portion of Scripture that says you can deliver yourself. You cannot. You can refrain, but you cannot deliver. The Israelites could not deliver out of the hands of the Egyptians. Judas couldn't even deliver the Messiah. That's why it says the Messiah willingly went and willingly gave. There's no power we have on our own. 
we have the power to abstain, he has the power to deliver. Now, why is this important? How many of you guys know right now, you can think of one person in your life, that there is some sort of rift between you and that person? Whether it's their fault or your fault, that's irrelevant to the point. But there's, there's a lack of forgiveness someplace. And maybe through the rift in the relationship or whatever, there's just a need for cleansing, a need for peace, a need for just, call it mental health, call it whatever you want. But the Bible tells you you can have cleansing, you can have healing, you can have the release of these things. But there's also ways by which you have to do things. You can't just puff the magic dragon and all of a sudden it's gone. It doesn't work that way. The scripture's pretty clear that we have to confess and we have to cast. Confess and cast. 1 John 1 9. Oh, where's my kids at? I'm going to paraphrase. This is not the Message Bible. This is the CJF paraphrase version. But I'm going to give you the references to go back to whatever version you go to. 1 John 1 9. Confessing brings forgiveness and cleansing. James 5 16. Confessing in prayer brings healing and power. Proverbs 28 3. Confessing brings mercy and prosperity. Romans 10, 9 through 11, confession of Jesus brings salvation. Matthew 10, 33, confession of Jesus brings Jesus' confession of us with him before the Father in the heavenly realm. Might be important, considering the fact that right between the Ascension Day and Pentecost, when God, when Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father and he says, all glory, all power, all majesty is given to him, if he doesn't confess that you're with him, guess what? Game over. Cheat code. You are gone. 1 John 4, 15. Confession brings God's dwelling in us. See, church, there's two main types of confession. One, the confessions of sin. This is not popular. It is not fun. Nobody wants to get together and say, hey, by the way, I got an addiction to pornography. Hey, by the way, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, by the way, I'm a complete donkey hole. You can get away with that nowadays. You can't get away with the other terminology. I don't know why. All the other English language, but you can't. You can't, like, how many people want to get together and like, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but I'm addicted. Call me, maybe. No. But yet, it's a crucial portion of the Christian walk is that we have a confession of sin. Why? Because ultimately, there's a burden that comes with the shame. If you think it's new, if you think it's New Testament, then go back and read the Garden of Eden. The immediate shame caused them to take a fig leaf and to cover their private parts and hide from God. As if God wasn't like hovering around and it's like, yeah, fig leaf works real well. Like, I created you. It's kind of like a mom. It's like, I brought you into this world. I've seen it all. And so confession of sin is important because without the confession of sin, we can't actually have a relationship. Erica can't have a relationship with you if we don't confess sins to each other. Why? Because we both know that we struggle with something, but at the end of the day, if we can't have that honesty, then there's no transparency in our relationship. 
This is why as a pastor, in January, I stood from this very pulpit and I confessed the fact that I hadn't walked as a good pastor. I confessed the fact that I was trying to run away from the responsibility of the office. I confessed the fact that there was many times I know God told me to do something and I didn't do it. This is why even in some of my closest personal friends who are like family to me, the confession is the best thing you can do. Let it get out. Just vomit it out and get it out so God can start healing you on the inside. But when the confession of sin comes, that means that we have to actually be like family. And here's why. Because my brothers are my brothers. My sister is my sister. I have to be transparent. I probably would kill for them. Like, that's how close we are. If they were in a situation and I needed, I needed to go to war for my brother, I would go to war for my brother. I'd drive all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio. I'd get me some La Rosa, some Skyline Chili, and I would do whatever he needed me to do. Same thing with my sister in Nashville. I'd make it happen. Stop by Prince's, get me some Nashville hot chicken, and go handle her business. Because they're my family. They've seen me at my worst. They've seen me at my best. They've seen me. They just know. Guess what, church? When you profess that Yeshua is your Messiah and you walk through the doors of a church, and it's not just this church, it's any church, you're a part of the family of God. Now, granted, sometimes and you met some of the new people, you may never come back here, and that's fine. I want you to be wherever you need to be a part of the family. I don't need you to come in here to fluff up my ego. I need you to be a part of the family till you get to the point where you would do anything for those people the same way you would do it for your own family. And that's hard. That's real hard. Why? Because we're not blood. But aren't we? Aren't we, church? Because the Bible says there's only two ways you're overcoming in the revelation of John, in the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. It says, by your testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. So, blood is sicker than water. The church has forgotten that phrase. Because we're all covered by the same blood. And we should all have the same testimony, which leads me to the second type of confession the confession of our faith. A lot of people like to say, you know, as I was doing the study this week, oh, the confession of sin is the negative side of confession, and the confession of faith is the positive. No, I believe both of them are positive. Have you ever been bottled up with something, and when you speak it and you release it, it's like, What about that moment that you had that transformation where God came and dwelt with you and you could just say that Jesus, Yeshua is my salvation and you could profess that with your lips, that confession, was that like, oh, that was the worst moment of my life. It was kind of like when I went to McDonald's and tried to get some ice cream and guess what? The machine was broken again. No, it's good. It's a life-altering moment. It brings us closer to who we were created to be in the first place, which is the creation of the greatest creator ever. The confession of sin should lead to accountability, acknowledgement of wrongdoing, and a path towards actual behavioral change, both by obtaining forgiveness and offering forgiveness to others. The confession of faith lets people know to whom you belong. You don't belong to yourself. If you do, then you die with yourself. 
The confession of faith lets people know that your identity is in the one who cannot be killed and cannot die. The one who the grave could not hold, and as a new creation, you are confessing that you are God's creation, and you will live eternally with the Creator. I'm going to have Lisa and Izzy. We're going to pass out some cards. Yeah, we're not taking questions and answers right now. Thanks, Shalema. I'm going to have them pass out some cards. And the reason why we're going to pass out these cards is because you can't be a church that confesses your sins to one another and opens up the door to develop a relationship with one another if you don't also confess the testimonies of the good that God's done in your life. A lot of times it's like, oh, everybody close your eyes and raise your hand. If, you, if, if you're struggling with something right now, and it's like, oh, the pastor, pastor knows who he's going to follow up with this week. He knows who he's going to eat coffee with. He knows what's going on. No, you have to create an atmosphere that understands that through confession, it is both release and testifying of what God has done. For you who are new, backstory. Leading into First Fruits this year, we did a 28-day prayer fast worship as a corporate church. In that, I asked people in the church to write down on an index card one thing that they felt was hindering their relationship with God. And they kept it and they folded it up for the 28 days. And on first, we, first fruits, we nailed it to the cross. And when they came back, those papers were gone. They were burned, they were gone. All that was there was a blank card because through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Yeshua, through the conquering of the grave, Genesis to Revelation is now starting to go back to the garden. The Hebraic undertones of Mashiach. Today, I want you to write down one thing. But I don't want it to be a sin. I don't want it to be something you struggle with. I want it to be something that you know God has done for you. It can be simple. I'm alive today. Every one of you in the room, default answer, I'm alive. God allowed you to be alive, every breath. But some of you have some real testimonies. Some of you have real testimonies of things God's done. And I want you to write it down today. And the reason why I want you to write it down today is because I want us for the next 10 days, next Sunday we're going to gather, and today we'll have a special service in here on Saturday, but we're gathering in Pentecost, for Pentecost in the park at Andrews Park. We're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to have outreach, we're going to feed the homeless, we're going to be present, Book of Acts style, Sinai style, for whatever God wants to do. But how in the world can we go into Pentecost, into a park, in anticipation of what God wants to do, if we can't even talk about what God has already done in our life? See, that's part of the problem with a lot of the feasts and the festivals and how we go about that, is we just think of them as historical events. We're just checking off a box. God commanded us to keep Passover. Check. I I got my gold star. No. The Torah was living. The commandments were living. Messiah was living. The Holy Spirit is living. It is to be alive, not for what was, without remembering what is, so that we know what is coming. And so today, as I start to wrap up, as the worship team comes, as we move into a time of response, write down, what has God done for you? Just one, just one, I'm alive, default answer. 
testify of what God's done. You do not need to sign your name to this. This is not. If you want to, sign your name. But let's acknowledge God has done something in your life. And then I'm going to have the rabbinos come forward with the buckets and we're going to pass the plate. I've come full circle as a Messianic Christian minister to where we're going to pass the plate. But we're going to pass the plate and we're going to collect your testimony offerings, not your fiscal offerings. Your testimony offerings of the goodness of God. Your testimony. Because you're the only one who can make the decision, the confession of faith that Jesus is your Messiah to be covered by the blood. You're the only person who can do that. But you can control speaking your testimony. I believe that God has called this community to practice faith and love as a family when it's easy, when it's fun, when we have abundance, when we have none, when it's heavy, when we're scared, and when we can jump and shout hallelujah. There's a reason why you were not supposed to see to it yourself, church. And that's because from the dawn of creation, from the moment that Yahweh spoke and created Adam and Eve and he put them together as a cod, as one, he just wanted us to cast our cares on him. He just wanted us to do life with him. He just wanted us to put him first. He just wanted us to receive the blessings like any good parent. And I know that's hard to understand as 21st century apprentices of Jesus, because right now, if you turn on the news, all you see is parents who suck. I said it. Mom took her kids off a cliff. Dad took out mom. Grandma and grandpa, all you see is horrible things. But that's why God is countercultural. That's why God has countered this culture. It's because all he wanted you to do is take it and to set it at his feet, cast your cares. As a pastor, as a shepherd of this congregation, as elders of the congregation, Peter tells us that we're supposed to cast it upon him. It's not that you're supposed to bring it to me and I'm supposed to take it and hoard it and lord over you. I'm not the Pope. I'm not an archbishop. I don't get to bring it from my power, from my glory, from my might. We're supposed to bring it and give it back to God as a gift, as a first fruits offering, as an offering of testimony. Lisa, go ahead, dump your stuff in Izzy's and come here for a second. I've been kind of dancing around the stage. Those who have been around the church for a while know I don't do a good job standing still. But I've also been dancing around the stage today because anybody who knows my background knows that I come from much more the truth side. Not sure how the Spirit's supposed to work in there. Seen it perverted a little bit. But Lisa called April and my wife. Uh, April, my wife, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not get that weird. 
they go. So Saturday church believes in polygamy. Yeah, no. No. It's got real weird. I'm going to end up on some sort of reel making, making fun of me. But Lisa contacted April and me, and she said, there's something I would like for you guys to do. And it came just after God had really put April and I through a ringer on the power of God and the Spirit of God and, and, and the fact that He was impressing upon us that He wanted us to experience these things, not just read about them, not just hear about them, but to experience them. And I have to admit, I have to admit at first, I was like, God, I don't even know what I'm looking for. But this week, So I reached out to Chris and April to ask for something specific, which some of you were a part of, and it was a laying on of hands. Because I was told that with my new pregnancy, that the placenta was bleeding, and the blood was pooling into a bump, and it was twice the size of the baby. And this bump is a rare situation that can happen called a chorionic bump, and I called for them to come over and I said, the Lord's not preparing me to lose this baby. And they told me there's nothing that I can do to heal this. And I thought, that's not, that's not right, that's not true. I can pray, I can rest, and I can have the body of believers lay hands on me. So I called them and they asked them if we could do that the next Saturday. And you guys were here and you helped participate in that. And I had a follow-up ultrasound two days ago. And I was told by more than one doctor that, that I can't do anything to heal this, I can't do anything to fix it, and that bump may be there even until I deliver. But while I was on bed rest, about two weeks in, I asked the Lord, the status because he's the ultimate healer and he's the physician and he knows what was going on and he's told me and I don't get a lot of word from the Lord but he told me he says the bleeding has stopped but that doesn't mean the bump is gone it's okay I stayed on bed rest a couple more weeks and I asked the Lord he says that bump gone I didn't get any answer and then another day I was getting out of bed and he goes it's gone I said wait I didn't ask you yet. <laughs> Don't I have to ask you to hear? And he said, it's gone. And that was weeks ago. And I didn't have any kind of follow-up. I couldn't see it. But I believed that he had healed the bleeding, he had healed the bump, and that the baby was okay. And two days ago, we had that follow-up ultrasound. And the technician knew to look for the chorionic bump. And... She did that first. That was the first part. And at the end of it, at the ultrasound, like half an hour later, I say, did you go back? Did you look for it? Did you check the placenta? Is it still there? And she goes, oh, yeah, we looked for it. And then I had to wait for three specialists to come in and talk to me. And it's gone. It's not there. And the baby is perfectly healthy and on point. And we don't even have any recommendations to have any genetic testing or any kind of other testing done. 
The pregnancy has been healed. Thank you for believing with me. Thank you for laying hands on me. Can we get a, an applause for the Lord, please? Thank you. Hallelujah. So church, when I tell you I believe he's able, it's because he already has, he already is. He's doing it. And today, before we go into the response time before that, I just want to read some of these. I don't know who they are, but I just want to share your testimony. I want to share what God is doing in your life. He has saved my life multiple times. Even though I have schizophrenia, he has blessed me numerous gifts. He gave me my children. I am now forgiven, and now I can forgive. Yahweh sent his son Yeshua to die for every one of my sins. God gave me the power to use flags on stage. Day in and day out, year in and year out, through all of my worry, all my doubt, and all my rebelliousness, and refusing to let God be in control, not once has he ever failed to provide, even in abundance and in so many ways that I've never deserved. He filled my heart with joy, with hope, and a stronger faith. God has helped me by always being there when I'm scared. There's so many more. I want to keep reading them for a second. If you got to leave, you got to leave. That's fine. I'll, first one here, I'll be the last one now. But there's power when you testify. It's more powerful than any sermon I can put together. God brought me back to my home for us to go deeper. And he's showing me who he is and how I can move forward from my past. God, help me refocus my life on him. The Lord has picked me up from the pit of despair and showed me that I have the answer in him. God has delivered me from the generational spirit of lust and unforgiveness of my father and my shame. I'm alive, I'm old, I'm forgiven, I'm blessed, and I'm loved. Amen, yes you are. I see God working through my family, through my marriage, through my children, and through my grandchildren. I'm grateful for my home. He gave me a wonderful husband who loves Christ, loves the church, and a wonderful child. Amen. He gave me a wife who loves me, awesome children, and a great job. I know, guys, it may seem a little bit corny, But this world demands your attention. Whether it's a cell phone, an iPad, an Android, whether it's your work, whether it's a television, whatever it is, the world demands your attention. And it pursues you to engulf you 
and it's system. And it's hard to break. I get it. It's hard for me to break. But God wants to revolutionize your life. He demands your attention. But you're not going to see him on the television. <laughs> not going to see him on Facebook. You're not going to see him at a Republican Party rally. You're not going to see him at a Democrat Party rally. You're going to see him when you go to your secret space. You're going to see him when you get with your wife and your children in a place and you're intentional in your testimony that I want God to be the center of my life so that I can have God flow through me. So you can have all the truth in the world. You can understand the Hebrew. You can understand the Aramaic. You can understand the Greek. But if the power of God is not living through you, then you're not a new creation. If Jesus isn't living through you, if Yeshua is not living through you, you're not a new creation. You're just like Rome, you're just like Greece, you're just like Harvard, you're just like every other intelligent person. And there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. Today, we're gonna to close the service before we have table fellowship. If you need prayer, our prayer team leads are here. You can come to the altar, the altar is open up. If you don't want to, if you wanna pray where you're at, that's fine too. If you need prayer, let's pray with you. If you need, if you need to just jump and shout hallelujah for what the Lord has done for you, do it. See, part of being a family is we're weird, we're awkward. And we still love each other. And sometimes we come into a, the facilities of a church and we feel confined. If you feel confined and bound in here, what in the world does it feel like for you out there? The Sabbath is here for you to put honor and glory on the one who created the Sabbath, for you to find rest, for you to find healing, for you to find the Lord when the week spent a week trying to find the devil. The worst part of you, try to get it out of you. So let's turn the lights down, guys. Worship team, let's praise. Whatever the Lord wants to do in this space, have your way, because we are yours.